This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team. Welcome, everyone, to our last episode, episode eight of season two. We're closing out season two. Um, with a second part to our discussion and kind of coming back, Mike, um, we are back to where we started, right? In a little ways in terms of the filming here uh, for the recording. Um, tell us where you are before we introduce our guest today. I made it over to beautiful rainy Ireland here about it's my third or fourth day. The gray arrived in last Friday. Um, so over here for a friend's wedding and, and then decided to make it down to Kerry, which is in like the southwest pocket of Ireland, um, not knowing that there was a pretty much a hurricane coming through. So we're hunkered down here. Um, luckily, still have power, um, bit of rain, but enjoying a, a nice fire. If the fire is still going. Yeah, there we go. Sure See the fire. Well, would 250 year old cabin not not bad to to sit down and record a podcast with you today, yeah. David? So Pretty super, happy. you know, Mike. This is one that, that the folks have to kind of jump into the video stream after because this this kicks up your where in the world is Michael Garrow to the next level, and this is and I'm so proud of you for keeping that fire going. But you gotta you gotta just um, promise me that after we finish recording, because I you know we talk about this with our coming on guest here soon kate skills from tough so this is a take two for us um and you've really gone through some extremes to make this happen so and including probably um jumping on some uh <laughs> you're doing whatever you're doing to get us get, get a connection here so after this i you got to promise me you're going to tune out to come back to the states and i'll cross my fingers that hopefully you guys can make it happen but i want you to enjoy your time I'm not, I'm not texting you. I'm not emailing you. I'm I, this is it. Okay. I'm going to let you know that we got the pod done. And, and and if you can, if you can, if you can hear it drop over the weekend, that's all I want to hear. Just give me a thumbs up. Okay. Promise right now. I think I could do that for you. Okay. All right. So do you, you know, we want to keep it going within the news before we introduce uh, our guest. Uh, do we, do we think? Yeah. We bandwidth for that right I, now i mean the guests the guests would be upset i think if we didn't continue yeah. with our with our True. theme right so this one you actually pinged over to me and and as i was reading through it you know there's a lot of takeaways that then kate you know, dove into in our discussion so i think it's a good lead into some of the work that they're doing at jobs and kind of a lot of the things that have changed in course over the last you know 18, 24 months. Um, but this is an article actually from the American Heart, American Stroke Association. Um, and the, the lead in title was blood pressure levels rose following pandemic shutdown of 2020. Um, again, that could almost be as obvious as our last in the news article of, um, you know, what type of fats are good for the vegetable versus uh, meat fats. But, um, I think what was interesting is kind of, you know, some of the areas that they looked at in there, in that article. So do you want to kind of give a, a quick overview and in, in your takeaways from that? Yeah. Um, so I looked at it quick and I pushed it over to you um, and, and it actually came up twice. I saw it in the morning on CNN and then I saw it uh, the local news, uh, you know, top of the hour at noon here. 
Um, and again, like you mentioned, it kind of follows like we we're half joking about the connection between diet and increased stroke risk or poor diet increase. But this one, I think the they followed some um, the the data. I think came and correct me if I'm wrong because I think Cleveland might have been the Cleveland Clinic that was following. And they, you know, they followed the um, you know the increase in 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 blood pressure um, and since uh, you know since the start of the pandemic and. I think they were looking at an, it, only in women for this particular case, um, but you can you can argue that you know um, women may have taken the brunt of the you know the the shutdown and the stress and 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 and, and everything that came around um, trying to manage a family. Um, you know, my wife will tell you that you know. <laughs> She, we're going to talk about quarterbacking and other things in our episode to come, but she's certainly a quarterback here. And, and, um, and, and that, you know, what struck me on that, on that article too, was first of all, um, the high rate, just, they, they did a snapshot of the general population. And, and I think something like, you know, it, it's much more than 50% of the, the, the population is hypertensive. It might even be something like, or pre high pre, you know, you know, they're borderline. And so the, the numbers, and we'll get into it in this episode, but the numbers can, are probably climbing for a number of reasons, the shutdown, the lack of activity, you know, um, you know, how you're coping with stress, the, maybe the alcohol consumption, but there's a lot that, that the, the, the group that, um, you know, that we're going to be talking about on this episode that, that there's a lot to manage in terms of, um, making sure that individuals, especially now stay healthy and, and blood pressure is just, you know, as, as the connects back to stroke is certainly a big risk factor. So, um, you know, my, my big takeaway was that, um, you know, we're again, another, I'm glad, I'm glad I made the news because certainly managing blood pressure is important. And if it's going the wrong way, we want to know about, you know, how do we intervene? So hopefully, you know, what comes from this is, um, you know, putting more attention to, to, to managing that as a risk factor for, for overall health, but certainly in stroke. So that's kind of my takeaway yeah. on that. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And, and I mean, you know, through that period, everything was so tough, but, and, you know, we got out of our habits. We weren't, people weren't commuting, people were adding on, you know, additional stresses to their plate. Um, but I think, you know, it's one, and you and I kind of helped each other a lot out through that period, you know, through either the work we were doing with Enablers, but it was just the accountability of, hey, you know, you shoot me a text, you get out for that walk, you, yep. you know, you take your, your couple minutes break here, you know, before you jump into another bit of work, like, it's important that, you know, and it, I think we're fortunate, but I think for anyone listening, whether you're a survivor or caregiver, it's that accountability, you know, whether it's managing your if you're at risk for high blood pressure, hypertension, or really anything that you're looking to accomplish from a goals perspective, that accountability is a huge, huge part of it. And I think that leads in nicely really to, to what Kate spoke to and her role uh, at Tufts. Um, so I, I know you, you had a nice um, way to kind of frame last, when we were recording last night, it was uh, right prior to the Bills Patriots game. Yeah, uh, I think the game on was, you know, it was, was it a late game for you over there? Or was it was. It, so it was the future Monday yeah. night game here. And like, a, like, as we learned from bringing on our guest, um, she's, you know, she came on and she was getting ready to hunker down with her family for the game. And, um, and yeah, so there was a big uh, Patriots uh, 
Bill's game. And we learned uh, Kate, who Kate skills from Tufts, who we're going to introduce here briefly, give you a little background that she, uh, we learned in her, 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 uh, her story is that she has roots in New York. So she, she, um, she's here now in Boston at Tufts and we're thankful for that, but she um, definitely was going to be rooting for the bills. And uh, we um, here in New England, we're happy at the outcome, but we're not going to you know, where it was a late game, stayed up to the end. Uh, but it really, um, you know, Kate, um, Kate's a, a phenomenal um, uh, team member up there at Tufts. And it's going to come across, um, I think, really clear the minute she comes on and introduces, we introduce her. But uh, Kate and I uh, go back to the um, stroke and young adult program at Tufts. So I, you know, I had the pleasure of, of going to some outings with Kate um, she's, um, she's the stroke advanced practice nurse up there at Tufts, and she's been back in Boston since, uh, 2009. And it's really great, um, to, you know, as, as anyone who hasn't, um, listened to season, uh, our seventh episode in the second season, the one that precedes this one, um, the, uh, great tie-in with Lester Long, who, um, you got to meet on the last episode, but Kate will mention in, in, does a much better job of talking about how they became a kind of two peas in a pod when they connected through some of the um, their early roles at BI and then went on to um, work together at, at Tufts. And we talked a little bit setting the stage for the game around the kind of the coaching theme and, and Lester um, set the stage for in his magic wine question about what uh, you know, what the, 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 when we asked him the, what, what the future stroke, you know, recovery looks like, he said this, that key to the longitudinal model of long-term care for stroke survivorship and best outcomes is to have that sort of one-two punch with a nurse practitioner who can take more of a holistic, so approach. And really, you know, the, the interview was great because we were able to see exactly, you asked Kate, like, what's your day like? And like, it's amazing the things she does. And in one day. Um, but, you know, I, I, I mentioned too, before we started recording, I said, you know, that coaching theme and, and Kate's ending uh, response to her magic question around team. I, I would say if, if, if Lester's maybe the Bill Belichick coach on the sideline, Kate's definitely the quarterback, like executing the plays on the field and day to day, because she had some great themes about like that timeout, you know, we take a timeout and, and the playbook and the different things she brings into this interview are just so timely. So I think um, I have to, I have to look at my notes because um, if for those listening, if, if, um, if Lester's the Bill Belichick um, and, and Kate and for New England fans would, would be, um, Oh goodness. I'm spacing on the quarterback. Oh, I want to call him the time. <laughs> Matt Jones, Matt Jones, Matt Jones. Um, so, but in, in, because Kate is a, is a uh, Bills fan, uh, the head coach there is Sean McDermott. So that would be Lester and Kate would be that jo had to be Josh Allen. So, uh, so I think I, you know, I, I try to make that proud, but it, it, I think that, that um, let's, you know, let's get rolling here because we, we did go, we go on and, you know, you always have to put the stopwatch on me. So do it for me now. So you can get to the rest of your vacation. Yeah. Well, I think you did put it well. Um, and, and there's all, 
there's always comparisons back to sport, whether it's, you know, in business, in marriage, like, you know, life in general, it's, you know, that, that connection, that, that accountability and, you know, really being able to make that change happen as a, as a unit. Right. And, and, you know, Kate really spoke to a lot of how they're doing that at, within the SIA program and just some of the great, great work that that's coming through and only going to advance, you know, here as they continue to grow the program and get more resources in. So, yeah, it was a pleasure to kind of, you know, bring Kate in after Lester's discussion. Uh, Bill Pelichek, we'll, we'll give her, I mean, Mac is, he's still a young, young fella. He, he's doing all right this year. Let's let's just give her the Tom Brady, you know, get cooter for now because I know, mean she, yeah. I think I think she deserves it. Yeah. Although as much of a Bills fan and she probably doesn't want to be, we're Boston strong over here. We're we're gonna keep it going. Um, you know, Tom Brady at heart is a Boston guy. He'll he'll be back. So let's let's call him the Belichick and Brady duo for the moment at least. We'll, perfect. We've coined it. Yep. <laughs> perfect way to put it, Mike. Because in the end, we're all team, right? And we're all in this together. And we know that, um, you know, there's a power in team. And so we're going to get this episode started just for our listeners, just to know this is, this is the last episode of this season. I mentioned at the the beginning here, I don't want to hear from you for a little bit. We're going to take a little bit of a break transitioning through the holidays into season three. And we have a great lineup of guests, um, but great opportunity for our guests to go back and listen to sort of flashback episodes. We've got, you know, we'll have 16 episodes in, 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 in the archives that are going to be, you know, just as valuable, um, you know, in the weeks to come as they were at the beginning of the recordings uh, that we did. So, and I think folks can kind of see the progression and we're, you know, we're building this community. So um, yeah. So I, I hope if, if this is the last time I see you face to face before we record again, I, I want to just wish you guys all, you know, enjoy your big, your, your time off. Well-deserved Mike. Same to you, David. And yeah, to our listeners, you know, enjoy the holidays, get some rest. Um, please do go back. You know, all these, all the episodes kind of have their own unique takeaways. Um, you know, and David I, and I have been having a lot of fun with it, you know, so I hope, you know, it's, it won't be a chore for you to go back, you know, kind of throw it in as you're setting up the Christmas presents, whatever it is you're doing. Um, and as always, if you find benefit from it, please share with anyone that you think would, would find these episodes useful. And if you can, please like, you know, and, and give us a quick review on either Apple or Apple podcast. And it, yeah, it does help, you know, it does help. So thank you for that. And yeah, without further ado, let's bring it into the episode with Kate Skills from Tufts Medical Center. Thank you. Welcome to episode eight, closing out the second season for the No Stroke Podcast. We are so happy to have Kate Skeels on from Tufts Medical Center. Um, we so happy to make this happen, right? So, so it was uh, it was a little bit of a, of a running around last week, and we're actually re- recording a few days late. But we you met Mike briefly, Kate, for a short period of time, but formally here um, now that we're recording. I wanted to welcome you to the podcast, and um, Mike, you want to give us a little quick uh, 
backdrop there for for anyone who we are doing video cast as well so anyone who doesn't again recognize mike's backdrop yeah well thank you david and and kate you know we're we're super excited to have this discussion with you no last episode we spoke with lester and you know it just teed it up to a brilliant deep dive into the SIA program and your role and, and what you're doing at Tufts. Um, but yeah, before that, we had a bit of a hiccup with the scheduling last week. I was trying to close things out to get over to Ireland for a nice trip. So anyone who is watching on the YouTube channel will see a, a beautiful 250 year old stone wall, at least what they say, a fire. And you know what, guys, I did build that fire. I did. I did. <laughs> Very proud I did. of that, aren't you? <laughs> It, we'll see if it lasts the whole episode, but yeah, we're, um, we make this thing happen, David, you know, and we started it over, over the, the, the Atlantic and it's the way we're going through this episode. So happy to have you, Kate. And, um, you know, I know David, you, we, we've teed you up in, in the, the beginning half of this and, and kind of give a good overview of your background and obviously the SIA program, but let's, uh, let's take a moment to kind of give the guests a bit of your background and where, how you've gotten to where you are today. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you both so much for having me here. Um, and yes, you guys set it up brilliantly last episode, hopefully no pressure with the buildup from Lester either. And um, it's funny, David, as I was listening to your guys' conversation, I was reflecting, I haven't seen you in person since we were in LA, which yes. is so weird because I don't know when we were there, I felt like everything was pretty normal and you know I don't know about you but I recall like riding on the plane home and being like oh yeah like people are kind of wearing masks and like oh the participants from China weren't at the conference like oh you know and then who knew that you know a month yeah. later things would be shenanigans so um, I'm so happy that we can do this over zoom and it's amazing you know we're from all over the world or you know parts of it right now and so this is great so thank you so much for having me and including me um, but a little bit about myself. So uh, hi, everyone out there. I am Kate Skeels. I am a nurse practitioner and the stroke advanced practice nurse with the Comprehensive Stroke Center at Tufts Medical Center. Um, and I originally am from actually Western New York from Rochester. So go Bills tonight. Bills packs tonight. Big game. Oh, no. Big Monday night football game. Yeah. Well, my daughter is going to be a uh, child size at school today for wearing her Bills dress, I'm sure. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> um, so anyways, I grew up in Western New York and um, went to nursing school at Binghamton University down on the southern tier of New York. Um, and then after college, my now husband and I moved to Boston and we've been here since about 2009. So the rest is history. Um, and we've been here. And in terms of my nursing, when I started, I um, worked at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston and completely honestly fell into neurology by accident. Uh, I applied for an RN position on a neurosciences floor and a vascular surgery floor and interviewed with both. And it just so happened that the neurosciences nurse manager got back to me first. And so that was um, what, I, what I took. And, um, it, you know, the rest, I've just stayed with neurology ever since and kind of, you know, fell in love with it. I know that might sound cheesy. Um, but really just learn to enjoy the patient population. And it's actually there where I met uh, baby Lester, where I met Lester. Um, so Lester and his wife, me, I think he alluded to, she's a neurologist as well, were residents at Beth Israel um, when I was a nurse on the neurology floor. And so we kind of, you know, became friends then. Uh, we 
we had an amazing camaraderie at that point with our neurology residents and our nursing staff and um, just, you know, we all became really good friends. We're all kind of similar ages and um, learned so much from each other and took care of patients together. And then as Lester became a stroke fellow, I actually also moved to the neuro and surgical intensive care unit at Beth Israel. Um, and I was there and then I completed my master's, my family nurse practitioner degree at UMass Boston. And when I finished, I was looking for a job and um, strange place to find a job, but Lester actually posted something on Facebook, the, the power of social media, um, but posted something on Facebook being like, hey, all my friends that are nurses out there, did anyone, you know, is anyone a nurse practitioner and looking for a job? And my nursing friends, you know, that we were all colleagues and knew Lester, like, Kate, you have to apply. Like, Lester's great. He's one of, like, our favorite neurologists that we ever worked with. Like, don't you remember how great he was as a resident? Like, you should totally apply. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I reached out to Lester, applied, and we got to talking. And, um, you know, now those same friends tease and they're like, oh, my God, you are probably the only person that could work with Lester. The two of you are, like, two peas in a pod and crazy together. But... <laughs> That's that's what makes it work. So, yeah. Oh, so that's, that's how I got a, to be here today. I didn't I didn't know that connection went back that that deep. That that's great. Thank yeah. you for uh, for sharing that. When when we spoke with Lester on the last episode, he mentioned certainly what makes the Comprehensive Stroke Center unique and compared to other stroke centers. And um, we we definitely got into you know um, the enhanced recognition enhanced recognition. Uh, for young young adult stroke, um, I really loved, and we we went through with Lester the the acronym for endure, endure, um, and we've been promoting that ever since. <laughs> um, and um, and certainly, I'd like to talk to you more about this, the SIA program because we did, we did talk 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 about that as well. Um, but um, Lester, everyone, we give we give everyone on the show a chance to to, to answer their magic wand question at the end, and we're gonna we're gonna also give you that opportunity. We, Mike and I often fight who gets to an, you know ask that question, but we'll give it to Mike since he looks so you know relaxed over there. And I I, I know our podcast cannot see Mike in his in his in vacation mode. I really I'm enjoying wa- watching him just chilling out by the fire here as we as we have this great chat. But um, Lester in in his um, in his um, magic wand question, really, um, and I'm, I'm going to kind of, don't want to paraphrase, but he, he really uh, mentioned the key component to the future of longitudinal care and support um, was really finding that key that you play. So there's a lot of pressure on you, first of all, as a nurse practitioner, but in, the, in that Lester. leadership, yeah, I, I know if anyone knowing, you know, we've, we've, um, we've got to know each other over the years, if anyone can step up into that role, that is you for absolutely yeah. sure. So, um, but um, there's that gap that we talked about, we use the term bridging the gap. I'd love to when Lester talked about like moving that rock, there's certain barriers at different phases of care. Um, so, and we also worked around the theme of coaching and, and could you give, um, give our listeners sort of a, a day in the life of your role within the comprehensive stroke center? Yeah, no, of course. That's a, that's a good and uh, loaded question, but yes, I, I will start off by saying no day is the same. Um, I think it'd be interesting to, uh, to ask Lester that same question four years ago or so and see what he would say. Um, Cause I often tease him that 
he probably got more than he bargained for with me. And I don't know if he actually knew he was looking for, for me when he got me. Um, I think this role of mine has, is, is atypical, which is great. It's unique. It's very multifaceted and it's evolved and grown since I started. And originally um, I was hired because to become a comprehensive stroke center through the joint commission, which we are, they ask that you have an advanced practice nurse on your staff and they don't define really what that needs to be. And so I think that's kind of how Lester and the team that existed at Tufts kind of went into it. Like we need a nurse practitioner. We want someone who can have a, a different lens that lens is a nurse practitioner. And really what it's grown into is a, a dual leadership between an advanced practice nurse and an MD, which to kind of answer one of your other questions maybe is I think what makes part of our, our center unique is that it has that physician and nurse perspective and we really try and work together to see it from all angles in terms of clinical care, in terms of, you know, inpatient care, outpatient care, logistics, everyday running of the center. Um, and I think what then has been unique as well is that I, as a nurse practitioner, am also an advanced provider. Um, so there's, you know, various levels of advanced practice nurses. Some of them can practice at an advanced level with patients and write prescriptions. Um, there's also what's called a clinical nurse specialist who's more focused on education. And then there's other kind of master's prepared nurses that are in leadership and education. But since I'm also a practitioner, um, part of my, my requirement for taking the role was that I also wanted to see patients and maybe by accident, but that has developed into our high risk stroke clinic, which Lester and I run together. Um, and is also, I think, one of the unique parts of our program, too, is that we have this dual provider, high-risk clinic that takes care of either medically complex, socially complex, both stroke patients that we think need a little extra TLC, um, a little extra, you know, support, kind of, you know, I tell patients sometimes, you're getting a two-for-one deal. You're getting a vascular neurologist and you're getting a vascular trained nurse practitioner, and we're going to be your team together and we're going to walk you through this. And at varying, you know, steps, we may or may not, you know, Lester may be more involved or I may be more involved, but all together, you get both of us. Um, and so it's funny, the indoor is actually the reason why that came about. I don't know if you shared this, um, was when I was first starting in clinic, we were trying to frame how can we, you know, what are the questions we want to be thinking about every time we see a patient in clinic? And so I'm a good, I'm a lover of acronyms. Um, and so we, Lester came up with this as a way to, helped me kind of frame my train of thoughts as I was becoming a new stroke provider in terms of what do I want to think about and look about, look for every time I see a patient. So exactly kind of, he said, I'm always, I want to know what caused your stroke so I can stop it from another one from happening. But I also, where I think that sometimes gets forgotten is those competing risk factors. So I want to think about you as a whole, everything about you, what other things not related to this stroke, but what could put you at risk for having a stroke by a different way? And how can we fix that? So maybe you have AFib and your stroke was because of a cardiac embolism, but then you also have hypertension, hyperlipidemia. It, you know, it would be silly to, it would be dangerous to ignore those things. We want to pay attention to those too. So you're not having a stroke by that mechanism. Um, and then, you know, not to go into everything Lester talked about before, but thinking about those complications that can happen. And I think that's the other kind of unique part about our, our clinic too, both our high-risk clinic and just our longitudinal clinic is that we see people, you know, every three months, then every six months, and then every year for as long as they'll see us, you know, I, I echo Lester, I said, told a patient the other day, 
I mean, I'm not going anywhere, so you're not getting rid of me. Like, if you want to see me every year, great. If you're like, you know what, I'm feeling pretty good. I just want to check in by email with you. That's fine, too, Um, because things will change and things will evolve as you recover. And, you know, maybe initially after your stroke, you you're really struggling and you need to see, you know, like, for example, I have a had a young patient who um, worked with commercial vehicles. And so he was really struggling after a stroke because he couldn't drive um, because he'd also had a seizure. And so we talked on the phone, I think, weekly for like a month. And then it was like monthly for like three months. And now I see him once a year. And, you know, it every it has a season you know, where it can be there for you when you need it. And then we can morph and change to what the needs are of people. Um, so now that I'm rambling, that, that's, that's unique. So I think, you know, <laughs> lots of unique things. Yeah. Um, I, I like the way you put that. It It's like, it can be seasonal, right? There can be high risk. There can be times where you need those closer touch points. Um, that's, um, and, and now with, um, you know, with, with things have changed in terms of now that things are opening up a little bit more. Um, when when things were shut down, certainly there was the the pivot in the group, the SIA group that, um, as I mentioned in the last episode, that I'm I'm proud to be a part of the the group there. Um, moved to using uh, virtual meetings, um, and with that, um, were. Did, did you find that, um, I mean, I found them, especially the ones early on, like you mentioned, coming back from LA, um, didn't realize how extreme things were going to shut down. Like you mentioned, same thing, like there were certain um, countries that weren't allowed to come in. We were trying to, um, there, there, there was, um, they kind of eliminated some of the um, conference attendees, but going back on the plane, not everyone was even wearing a mask at that point, I don't believe. And, oh. you know, flying cross country, coming home, and then within less than a month, we really shut down, you know, completely. So can you talk about, like, how you guys had to really, um, you know, pivot, like, move in the support group? Um, maybe did you take on patients via telehealth as well? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, it's been a big, a big pivot and a big transition. And, you know, just to kind of like take a step back as, as you know, David, and you know, for everyone else, our, our support group's a little different than other support groups. It's not a traditional support group in the sense. So stroke and young adults, we, it's primarily for people who are 55 and younger um, or young adults at heart. Uh, The idea being just that people within that age group are dealing with different things than maybe someone who's 60, 70, 80, Um, you know, they may be working, they may have kids of their own or trying to take care of their parents. And so kind of different issues socially. And of course, medically, their stroke can affect them differently too. And so we want to, we want to honor that uniqueness and what they're going through at that point. Um, Our support group is different in that it's not a traditional support group. We don't usually uh, sit down and kind of talk things out or have an educational component. I think those are fabulous. Um, But what our group does is it's more of a social support group. So our goal when we can go out and about is to just, is to get people out, come, we say, come bring your families, bring your kids, bring your parents, bring your, your friends, anyone, you know, Lester and I both usually bring our significant others and our children are, I think we brought our dogs one time when we went for a walk. Um, And the idea is to just bring people together. And I usually tell people, you know what, you can talk to people about your stroke 
or you can talk about baseball. You can talk about the weather. I don't really care. You can talk about anything you want. The idea is to either A, is A, get people out of the house, get people up, get people doing things and to form connections with other people that may be going through something similar and so that they can form that connection because as much as me or Lester or, you know, someone, survivors, significant other, family, try and understand what they're going through on some level, I can't because I'm not going through it. I'm not a, a stroke survivor myself. And so that connections that can form inside it can offer that different perspective, that, that thing that, you know, that perspective that I'm going through it too. So when no one else understands, I can. Um, and so it, it was a big pivot there. Um, having to usually we would meet a couple times a year trying to do three or four events a year and we as david mentioned i think with mini golf we try and do some unique things like we play monster mini golf um get ice cream we've gone for a, a walk in the arboretum try and do do different kind of social events um and so on the computer obviously it's a little different but we i will say recognize pretty early that this is a hard time people are home and people are scared because of what's going on in the world. And so we wanted to be or try and be a, a support, a constant, a familiar support that's out there. And so we tried to have, you know, a few more virtual sessions than we normally would um, and try and have a theme and kind of different things we could talk about, whether it's like, what are you excited about for the holidays or what's your tradition for the holidays? I think that was one of our first ones um, and kind of bring people together, you know, in that way. Um, in terms of like clinic wise, the telehealth, I think, I think has been great. Um, I think one of your other call, uh, speakers, Brooke mentioned too, that, you know, the hybrid model is here to stay. And I think it's a great thing. Um, I think in the periods of time where people couldn't come to the clinic, we relied on telehealth a lot for our clinic visits. We were, you know, doing things over a webcam or a phone. And, and yes, it's a different neurological exam. Uh, a lot of uh, an appointment, though, can be talking anyways and listening to people explain how they're feeling and what their symptoms are. So that part can still work. Um, where I think it's really nice, though, too, is that for a lot of people, getting to appointments can be really difficult. And so I'd rather be able to see you over a telephone screen or over a telephone receptor than not see you at all. Um, so, you know, those patients who maybe they can't drive anymore because of their stroke and they're a single mom. And so rather than find a daycare for their kid for the day, we can just, we can do this and that's okay. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's great. I think it's helped a lot of people. And uh, I think going forward, having a combination is going to be best for patients and providers. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great answer. And, and, and very relevant. I, I, I didn't have a chance to, um, you know, to mention this at, on the last episode, but, you know, you, you mentioned those connections, the distance and everything. Um, your communication from your team it was it was fantastic to be able to there were individual questions that um the communication that went out from your your center about when when uh patients were first el eligible for vaccinations and then you know on an individual level everyone probably had follow-up questions that you guys made yourself available and i did it via telehealth because certainly i'm I have a bit more distance than around the corner um, in Boston. So I found that just like, it just was so, it was such a, uh, a weight lifted just to have a conversation and go, this is what I'm thinking, but I just want to make sure I'm on the right path when, you know, when I, when I had these personal questions around my own house. So thank you guys for that again. And yeah, of course. Um, um, Mike did, um, 
because we we've been we've been talking around the theme of the the power tell so it's nice to hear that that and it, is that something it sounds like you'll continue to use um as part of the the, the your practice model i i think so because like i said it really you know especially at tufts we see a lot of patients you know from the city but then we we are in the wealth force network so we see a lot of patients for those geographically not from the boston area uh where tufts is located in downtown boston and chinatown um, but we get a lot of patients from North Shore area, um, as well as from the South Shore. And West. so we get papers from all over, short of that. Um, and so transportation into the city can be difficult. And so this allows us to stay in touch with them. And it helps with that model that, that we have in our clinic of longitudinal clinic and frequency, the wanting to check in. So maybe it looks something like every three months, we want to check in and every other time we're in person than the other times we're via telehealth to kind of make it easier so that we can still stay in touch. Um, or, you know, another example, I have another patient uh, survivor I'm working with right now who's a young man and he's developed a lot of anxiety after a stroke and he's trying to get back into working. Um, and what he needs right now is to check in every month. And so uh, a couple of months ago, we actually were checking in every two weeks for a 30 minute, you know, chat on the phone, like, Hey, how's it going? And not even necessarily, you know, making changes or having a medical appointment more just like, Hey, I'm having a little trouble with this, or this is, you know, I'm working with mass rehab commission and this is what I need help navigating. And, you know, now we're meeting every month on the phone for a half hour. So being able to do that is something that we, we couldn't do as easily before. So it's definitely helped. That makes, yeah. And you know what I'd love to do is kind of dig into this day to day for you, Kate, because it seems like <laughs> what you do is amazing. Like you're, you're putting out brilliant work. You're helping so many people, but like, it's also the job of trying to like personalize this for everyone, right? You have some people you're meeting with every two weeks, some people you're meeting with on an annual basis. Like how do you manage your day to day as a, <laughs> as an advocate you know and that's a great question <laughs> and we totally buried that question in there um no so i think i think that also kind of comes back to um in the way that my role is unique is that i am a provider um but i also in the day-to-day -day running of our stroke center do a lot of work on process improvement quality improvement in general for the stroke center in the hospital um Another kind of big component of mine is education um, and not just for the patients themselves, but um, I strongly believe in educating our nursing staff. Um, and so if we can have nurses that are educated and specialized in providing stroke care, then I know that my patients and everybody else's patients on the floor are getting the best possible care they can. So starting at the beginning, boots on the ground, how can I get them as educated and as knowledgeable about stroke as possible. Um, so that's a big part of my role. And then kind of, as we've been alluding, um, another part is those, those transitions. And so, yes, um, everybody's a little different. There are patients that come to my clinic, but then as part of our comprehensive stroke center work, uh, there are a number of different phone calls. And I think and the navigator alluded to this too is, um, and this is actually a program I would love to build upon with having a dedicated nurse navigator. That's, that will not be my magic wand answer, but that's a wish list thing. Because um, we right now contact all of our patients that are discharged home within about a week to kind of check in, see how they're doing, you know, make sure they got their medications refilled and whatnot. Um, so to answer your question, a day in my kind of workflow um, varies a lot. But in general, I you know would start my morning kind of figuring out who were the strokes codes the day before, kind of what our census is, 
Um, and then on our neurosciences floor, we have a case management round. Um, and so this is a, a you know, half hour or so kind of sit down where the nurses come with case management, the neurology team, myself. Uh, we're often joined by social worker, sometimes the chaplain, PT, OT, kind of those other rehab disciplines, um, SLP. And we sit down and, and we go over the patient. So the nurse will present on the patient and it's an opportunity for everyone to get on the same page. What, what is the plan for this patient? Um, and part of the system that then Lester and I have developed, we call it a discharge timeout. And so at this point, I take a few minutes to touch base with the neurology resident or PA and team and say, okay, let's time out, stop. Let's think about this patient that's gonna be leaving um, today. What, what's their diagnosis? Um, and what, you know, is it ischemic stroke? Is it a TIA? What's, what's going on? Uh, what are we calling this? What do we think caused it? You know, as of right now, what is our working thought process? And then based on that, we can touch, um, touch on a few key elements. So, okay, what's their antithrombotic plan? Whether it be, you know, we're going to start them on a Eliquis or a DOAC in a few weeks because we want to do a repeat head CD to make sure that their, you know, stroke is stable. Okay. Um, what's, you know, their statin medication, kind of key medications. And then we also touch base upon what's their, their plan for outpatient. So do they need any testing in the next, you know, few weeks before their, their clinic appointment? And then we figure out that clinic appointment. And so for us, our goal is to have our patients seen after an ischemic stroke within four to six weeks and hemorrhage is about six to eight weeks in the clinic. Um, and my goal is to have every patient leave the hospital with their appointment date and time. I don't want to leave any opportunity for people to feel like they're going out and they have no idea what, you know, what's going on for themselves. And so we run that kind of list together and then can go back and kind of build that strategy. What do we need to do to make those points that we just talked about happen and coordinate that? And that's where I think that bridge from the inpatient to outpatient starts. Um, we can get on the same page and we can start to build that plan and then connect that plan with their outpatient provider. That's brilliant. And, you know, for, for you to kind of take, take ownership of that at that early stage, I mean, it's key for the patient, right? Because like you said, they could often leave at that moment when they're leaving the hospital. That's probably the second scariest timeline other than, you know, when they arrived, you know, so I guess from, from there and then, right. So you, they have that appointment and then you're in touch with them to kind of coordinate this longitudinal you know, care model that, that we've been speaking of um, on that, like, how do you actually, and, and I'm sure it's, you know, conversational and you get to see these amazing changes with people happen in the time that you, that you, you know, are under their care, but how do you actually like see those results? You know, is it, you know, cause something that you're tracking or, or what's your, do you have like biomarkers, like things that you're actually looking at to be like, aha, like, you know, we've achieved another milestone and kind of continuing down that, that road. Do you use any yeah. kind of measurement? Yeah. So one thing actually that we've implemented in the last year or so is to look at and measure patients' knowledge at their, at their follow-up appointment. Um, and so, you know, we're asking our nurses and we're providing education on certain points. And kind of to the other component of doing this discharge timeout um, is to come up with the language, the language for the patient's discharge summary and education. And what I mean by that is, um, we like to use big words in medicine, let's be honest, right? And so if someone's writing in your discharge summary, you know, Miss Skeels, you had a left MCA infarct. 
well, WTF does that mean, right? It's, it's so hard for people to know what exactly we're trying to say, even if as a medical provider to another medical provider, we know exactly what they're saying. And so the other kind of part of the timeout is an opportunity for us all to get on the same page so that we can translate and I can help the team translate that information in the discharge summary to a letter to the patient, a way to define what their, you know, what their diagnosis is. So the letter would look something like, dear Ms. Skeels, you were hospitalized with an ischemic stroke. An ischemic stroke is a blockage of a blood vessel that results in a lack of oxygen to a part of your brain. We believe your stroke is caused by a cardiac embolism, which is a blood clot that travels from your heart to your brain. And then we kind of go into, okay, so what are your stroke risk factors? Because I want you to know what's applicable to you. Like it's important for you to know that PFOs exist or that high cholesterol leads to it, or the tobacco uses a stroke risk factor. But what's really important is that you know what your risk factors are so that you can make modifications and we can work with you to, to you know, improve those. So we give them a list of what are your risk factors. And then we also touch base about some of the, the common secondary prevention or prevention medications that people are on to prevent them from having a stroke and kind of try and break that down in simple language as well. So an anticoagulant, this helps make your blood thinner and prevents you from having another blood clot. A statin medication helps lower your cholesterol and helps your blood vessels to heal. And so this kind of really just sets people up for knowing what exactly happened so that when they come to their clinic visit, either with us or, you know, usually they're seeing like their primary care physician first, or they might see other providers, they know what happened. They're not feeling like, I don't know what I think I had a stroke. I don't know what that means. So they can, they can speak to that. Um, and so what we have developed in the last year or so is a evaluation. So when patients come to their first clinic appointment, we give them a, a one page little questionnaire. That's a few simple questions. Um, what is, what is, a stroke? what type of stroke did you have? Ischemic or hemorrhagic? Uh, what are your stroke risk factors? And what do you do if you develop stroke symptoms? And I, I thought I was being punny. There's like some BFAST or stroke symptoms, BFAST, RESPECT, and like fire or something. Um, but the idea is that we're assessing people's knowledge and then we actually check that against their discharge summary and say, okay, you know, patient X said they had a hemorrhagic stroke and that their risk factors are they had a cavernoma and high blood pressure. And then we check that against their discharge summary. And sometimes, hopefully, most of the time, we find that those are correct things. Um, sometimes we find a mismatch and then we can take that information and provide it back to our nursing staff and to ourselves so that we can focus our education and our education initiative on those areas of, of maybe weakness. I love that. I love that. And, you know, that kind of touches on that point of personalization that I was going to kind of bring, get, get to next. Um, and kind of the way that you're doing that, it's, it's not overwhelming the patient, right? Because a patient just had a life-changing trauma happen to them. They're now discharged from the hospital. They're in most cases with, you know, your population that you're building this program for, like you said, the under 55, they might have children at home. There's so many other things that are going through their mind of like, holy shit, how am I going to be dealing with all this? Right. So I, I like that approach and I, I can only imagine it's, an opportunity to continue to build. And over that year, you're kind of drip feeding that more that information because it's easy for either a survivor or a caregiver to come come home, Google 
and then get a tsunami of, of information yeah. that one, they don't know where it's coming from. They could be reading horror stories on Reddit or something, who knows, but you know, it's a, it's a great way to kind of personalize that care, keep that trust. And, and that's what I've seen, you know, at least in the conversation, you know, with, with David and Lester is it's that personal connection you've been able to build with a stroke survivor. Right. And it sounds like the family and the caregivers as well, because that's just as important, you know, for a caregiver to be like, all right, well, this is how my life is changing as well and how I need to care for my loved one. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really, really do like that. And it, it's needed uh, across the board. Right. You know, because yes. I think that's the number one issue when, when you see that discharge and we've spoken to many survivors and I'm sure obviously you you've done outside of the program that you run. It's, it's that confusion. It's that, you know, I've left hmm. the hospital and I felt abandoned. You know, I, I don't know what step to take next. So, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great transition program. And I guess, you know, now that we're in this world of, of post COVID and a hybrid model, I think it's a great opportunity for you to, be able to leverage that even further and you know personalize it a, a bit more um and like that day-to-day has to be challenging i guess you know kind of how i'll ask this now is how do you like where these articles are coming from do you guys build a catalog that you then personalize and send out or how do these how do you like send person like the articles or things like that yeah no them? I, I think it's a, it's a, I know, I, I promise I'm not avoiding the original question here um, of what my day is like. But yeah, um, I think it's a combination. So even um, pre me, uh, pre me starting, uh, we, Lester had created and the rest of our, our team at Tufts had created a stroke center patient guide, which is kind of a, um, a Bible per se, a big, big old packet of information with everything and not personalized, um, which also has a point because, or has, has a, has a use. Because to your point, um, it's so easy to go on Google and just find all this information. And so and some level, I want to provide you with all that information, but I want it to come from sources that I trust and sources that we trust. So I know that it's accurate. And you might have questions about things that aren't related to you, but are in the stroke world. And so go ahead, read, read this. Um, and then what we've, you know, developed so far is most recently we have what's called a patient passport. Um, and the idea is that it's a little pamphlet and, hopefully you carry it with you and it passes you along as your, you know, your journey with us continues. Um, and that is where we can personalize it again and really write in, you know, write a log. Um, I think Lester and I are both big uh, at writing, writing things down for patients. You know, I, I personally know as a patient, sometimes myself, I need to read it and I need to hear it to be able to process things. Um, and so, I also tell my patients when they come to see me in clinic, we're going to talk about the same things, what caused your stroke every time I see you. And that's okay. Eventually it'll, you know, sink in because exactly to the point you made when you're in the hospital, it's like someone turned on, you know, a fire hose. There's so much information coming at you. And of course you're not going to remember it all. How could you possibly and figure out what of everything we told you, you actually need to remember and, and apply to, you know, day to day. And so, we can kind of chip away at that every every time we see you and really get to what 
you know, what do you need to know today and what do you need to know going forward and what kind of can you anticipate might be issues for you, you know, three months, six months, a year down the road so that you know about those things as well so that you're informed. Yeah, I'll just jump in to add um, from the patient perspective, absolutely the, you know, you don't, you, you don't go into this having a deep understanding or a big uh, stroke IQ, or, and there's a lot of lingo to learn. And depending on your condition or whatever, the pathophysiology, you're overwhelmed and most, a lot do go to Google. So I, I have to say that um, <laughs> being under the care of your group, um, I, I'd have to say, um, um, you know, I've, I've had some of the most comprehensive after visit summaries that have been sent along to my primary after meeting. And it's wonderful because it's just, it, you know, there's a lot to learn and, and digest during that physical meeting. And then you come away and you're like, okay, I think I'm going to work on this. And this is the next thing that we're going to do medication wise, et cetera. But that it's like, it's, it's so, it's so helpful to have that um to to share with anyone else who's part of your team so that that's great and and i think mike brought up a really good point i think the telehealth model is actually um and i've experienced it with the way i treat my patients now that i'm still doing telehealth is it does really provide a nice opportunity to continue the educational piece um and um we we um we know from we know from a little hiccup we had done during our, our uh, conversation that you're very familiar with the clap, right? So you know that they're, so can you, can you maybe like Lester alluded to the fact that maybe you were doing some educational, I, I mean, I've seen your BFAST um, on, on social. Um, are there any projects that you're working on the, on the education piece that, or is it part of um, just the day-to-day -day that you um, put these, these pieces out there? Yeah, no, the, the clap, I, uh, wow. I got an opportunity to be a video star for, for a day. Um, so one of kind of going back to the other part of my role, working on education for other providers and for nurses, um, we require that our nurses annually, and this is part of our joint commission certification again, but we re require that they have eight hours per year of stroke focused education. Um, and so this is another example of where Lester um, and I are a great team because I remember one day a couple of years ago having lunch with him and we were brainstorming, how are we going to educate all these nurses? You know, we could buy modules, we could do this and that. And I said, well, why don't we just host a conference? Like, how hard can that be? Like, right. And he was like, okay. But in, in true lesser fashion, he humors me and says, okay, Kate, like, that's fine. If you want to do that, we will make that happen. Um, and so uh, this will be our third year. And so again, with having to pivot with the pandemic. So our first year, we hosted our annual Tough Stroke Symposium. And so we created a single day conference where we provided continuing education credit for nurses, um, there were physical therapists, there were social workers, other healthcare providers there. Um, we had speakers from within Tufts as well as some outside speakers come and be able to educate on various topics. And so we build this, this curriculum um, and it was fabulous. And then of course the pandemic happened. And so the last two years um, we've pivoted and actually had a virtual symposium. Um, unfortunately, you know, or fortunately, I'm not sure, we, we don't have it uh, where it's live and virtual, but we were able to still record it. 
um, and then have that available to our nursing staff. And hopefully, you know, we can continue if we have to continue down this virtual road to be able to expand so that we can share share the education with with other providers at different other hospitals. Because um, it's really it's a great day uh, day, um, but it's a you know an opportunity again to really expand that knowledge for for nursing and for other providers because. Going back to what I said before, I really, I want to empower our providers. I want them to, to be educated. It starts at the bedside. And if everyone can be elevated in their understanding of stroke care and how to take care of patients, then I know that we're getting, they're getting the best care they possibly can. And so it's super important to us. I love that. And, um, you, you know, I, we, we were saying earlier that I think I was going to take that that last question of um, building your magic wand. But I, I'm gonna hand this one over to David because I know it means a lot to him here. So take it away, David. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, is it, are we are we that point already? We, I, oh, we should keep going here. Um, <laughs> but you have a, uh, you have to make a prediction on the score after. So I know you gotta get your, get your game on here soon. <laughs> Um, as I know the other half of my family is doing, but not, not on the bill side. So, um, uh, so the, here we go. So, Kate, you, you, this is, you know, we're at the point where, um, we're going to hand over the magic wand and it, it, if you had the opportunity to design the perfect stroke rehab or survivor experience what what would that look like and and maybe is that something that um that you guys are working towards at tufts or how how would you see it play out if you had that magic wand yeah oh i love this question i uh i went back and i'm not gonna lie i went back and forth a few times in my head prepping for this like what would i really want but i think um what I've landed on is I would love to build a multidisciplinary stroke clinic. Um, and what I mean by that is I would love to have a clinic with a physician, you know, maybe more than one, but physicians, nurse practitioners, um, and then other disciplines to help us. Um, so I would love to have a social worker, a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a speech and language pathologist, um, all of those teams be able to come together in a clinic. So almost as if you're doing one-stop shopping um, so that you can come and maybe it even looks like something like, you know, you come for your appointment and it's a three-hour appointment and, you know, you sit down first with the neurologist and he's going to talk to you, he or she's going to talk to you about you know, the mechanism of your stroke. And then you're going to talk to the nurse practitioner and we're going to we're going to do some education. We're going to go over your medications. Um, you know, maybe then you meet with the, the nurse and they talk to you about smoking cessation because that's, that's one of your risk factors. Um, and then you can meet with everybody else too in this chunk of time and it's individualized to you. So I think that one of the big ones for me is the social work, um, which I would find extremely helpful because I find a lot of times my patients, especially working with young adults, have a lot of questions about um, returning to work and or applying for disability or finances. And I don't know, I don't know the answers to all of those questions. And so it would be amazing to have someone there to be able to help us with that so that we can always help you with those questions. Um, I rely on my social worker colleagues a lot right now, but if I had, if I had my own social worker in clinic, I think it would just be fabulous. And also to be able to have, you know, the physical therapist, occupational therapist, the speech language pathologist there to, you know, even if you're not coming to them 
on a weekly basis, if they can be like your lead provider and do an assessment and then help make recommendations to, to providers in the community, because, you know, ultimately they would be a stroke specialist and perhaps, you know, where you live, you might be going to physical therapy um, group that doesn't have stroke trained therapists, which we know exists, but if we could provide some instructions and some additional assistance to those providers, so that we can get everyone the highest level of care and kind of have like a, a team central neuro clinic. Um, I think I think that would be my magic wand task. I would love to build that at Tufts someday. Love that answer. And I love that you ended with team because that's, I think that's one of the, the, the um, messages that we came away with um, on the last episode with Lester as well, that it's something that you guys are really working towards and building right now as, as we speak. And, and um, Mike, do you, um, do you need to put another log on the fire there? Do we need to wrap it up? <laughs> I know we, I, you've, you've put me in, I think you've given me this role, David, of having to be the timekeeper, but I, I'll, I know. I'll, I'll make the hard stuff, but no, it's been a pleasure, Kate. And and I, th I love, again, your your answer there, really what you touched on is that missing key. And oftentimes it's that extra one-to-one -one support of that, you know, whether it's a social worker or a nurse or a, a health coach that we've, you know, spoken about briefly on this podcast, um, you know, that that's what's missing. And unfortunately, you know, we could go on for another two hours about how it's not the reimbursement models or the location, social determinants of health, you know, there's so many factors, um, but it's people like you, it's people like Brooke and the others that we've been able to speak with on this podcast that are really making the difference. Um, you know, so continue the great work. I hope you're you. this magic wand. If I find a leprechaun over here in Ireland or something, <laughs> I'll, I'll give it, I'll be like, Hey, any magic you could do here to, yeah. to help Kate. <laughs> but um, I, I love that answer. And, and you're right. Okay. It is that that's the key, you know, there. So continue up the great work. Um, you know, it's been brilliant to speak with you. And you. again, as, just as Lester, you know, hopefully we could have you on here as a, as a repeat guest and continue to speak to the great work you guys are doing. Thank you. I, I would love that. And it's been such a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much for having me and including me in this group of, of providers. It's truly, it's been great. And yes, David and I could probably, we could probably talk all night. So <laughs> cut us off. Thank you, no, Kate. Thank you. All right. Take care. Enjoy Ireland. Eat Kerrygold. Lots of Kerrygold butter. It's it's on the plate for tomorrow's breakfast. Go and grab <laughs> a little bit of soda bread. Nice. But thanks, Kate. Have a nice evening. All right. Bye night. Now. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Be sure to tune in each week for more knowledge on stroke recovery in the brain with tips, technology, and interesting Stroke Thriver interviews where they share their success to enable you on your own healing journey. Make sure to hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. Mike and I will love to ask you to rate and review our show to enable us to grow our audience. Please check the show notes to follow us 
on social so you can connect and reach out to find more about advertising with us or becoming a guest on our show. Until next time, stay well, keep the faith, and keep moving forward.